All right. Welcome back to Life After AI. Um, for today's episode, we're going to kind of cover a wide array, uh, wide range of topics. Uh, first, we're going to talk about Eliezer Yudkowsky and some of the points he brought up on our recent podcast that he did with Bankless. We're going to talk about Elon's um, new project. He's going to... Um, Open up some sort of competitor against ChatGPT on Twitter. And then we're going to talk about ChatGPT and OpenAI kind of being opened up um, for businesses to use it as um, at, at really cheaply. And it just really allows businesses to take full advantage of what they're offering. Um, so let's dive into this Eliezer guy. Sure, sure. I, um... Yeah, I don't know much about him other than he appears to be some uh, well-established within the AI community. I think he's looks to be like a long-time researcher. And then I just recently saw this podcast that you, yeah, sent my way. So, yeah, I don't know too much about him either. It seems like he's been in the AI research space for quite some time now. Um, and basically, what I gathered from the interviews from like. 2015 basically he's kind of been sounding the alarm of ai and that we are heading down like a really bad path with ai that's and in his words going to end um going to lead to the end of humanity pretty much and he doesn't really see any way around that um and we'll we'll leave a, a link to that interview in the description as well so everyone can check it out i do think it's like worth the watch just to get some um, different, just to get different perspectives on the AI space and like where things are headed. But what what was your take on some of the points he made? Like, do you kind of you think it was all a bit just too much of a doom speak type of thing, or do you think there was like some val some validity in what he was saying? I think it's a little bit of both. I um I definitely thought they were pretty heavy on the doom and gloom, but at the same time, he brought up some some valid points, and I'll just kind of go over those real quick my notes so an idea he talked about that i thought was really good was um he just kind of pointed out the foolishness and this idea that like we're gonna blindly um head off into this ai world like we are now with the hopes that the ai just like magically turns out to be good like it just kind of happens to become aligned with our morals and doesn't see us as merely tools, but recognizes our value as humans. And so, you know, he's just kind of really stressing, like, that's not going to happen unless we maybe work together or put in a lot of resources and work into making that happen. And I thought that was fair because, I mean, he's right. <laughs> At least as far as I can tell there. Um, so that was a good point. He brought up the point that at the moment, we don't have the tools to um, control what AI cares about. And he didn't um, make it seem like we were, we definitely weren't ever going to be able to do that now, but maybe never in the future. Um, and he talks about how a side effect of in intelligence is just that lack of control. Um, 
Mm-hmm. What else did he talk about? That was pretty much it. The other, so, so that was kind of the, the good points that he made. Uh, the one really hard critique I have of him other than just, he was generally a little too gloomy for me. Um, he talks about how this AI is going to become so smart that we can't compete with it or we can't defend ourselves against it because we won't be able to predict its next movement because if we were able to predict it, then that would imply that we were just as smart as it, um, which obviously won't be the case. So while simultaneously claiming we won't be able to predict its movement, he makes a lot of kind of hard predictions about how this is going to act um, and that it will kind of merely see us as atoms. It won't recognize our human um, our value as humans and maybe he's right but i but just that mere act of like making a hard prediction while saying you can't predict what it's going to do I, I i found that um to be a bit interesting i guess so uh-huh. yeah no i i agree with majority of that i think kind of like honestly a lot of the interview was a bit was a bit hard to digest for me um maybe i just wasn't quite at the level of he was like being able to keep up with the, the conversation there um but i think and correct me if i'm wrong here but like it seemed like the core of his argument pretty much like you said was that there's when we are building something that is presumably way smarter than us there's no way for us to predict um what it what it can do so there's no way we can really stop it in that way because it's always going to be several steps ahead of us and also he would make a big point that he would harp on was that it's infinitely more difficult to build an ai that is aligned with us um than it is to just get one that isn't um and so once you get to the point where you've reached agi there's no really going back from that and so if it is aligned with us then okay we did we had like we're at the the positive scenario but if it isn't which in his words is much more likely there's there's no way to go back from that because at that point we've we've created something that is significantly more advanced than the human species and um we can't like there's no way to take that that uh cat out of the bag uh, i mean does that kind of make sense to you as far as the, the summary of what he was trying to say yeah yeah and i'm trying to figure out my head he's assuming that this agi will just wake up one day and realize we don't have much to offer and somehow it's going to come to the conclusion that it needs to manipulate us or destroy us but if we don't have much to offer it it, it's so smart you think we would have some like room for negotiation for some sort of mutual existence I, i don't understand just because why if agi becomes agi and becomes smart and, and and can program itself um why does that lead to the conclusion we have to destroy humans i guess i'm just missing that yeah i i'm not quite following that either um i sw- i think a lot of it was i, I want to go back and, and watch more of it and he actually did a, a follow-up interview with bankless as well and kind of like they did like a Q&A with the audience. So I would like to go back to that and just kind of 
take more time to process what exactly the points he was trying to make because while he was very doom and gloom, I don't think any of it was like not genuine. Like you could tell he was very distraught and stressed out by this. Like, I don't think he was just saying this for attention or to seem cool. Like he's smarter than everybody else and he's predicting something that everybody else can't see. It seemed like he was actually very torn up about this. So um, I don't want to automatically dismiss anything that he's saying. I think it's like a... Yeah. I think it's like an interesting. Yeah, and I, I hope topic, I didn't come so. across as dismissing him because oh, no. I do think there's value in what he's saying. Um, no, you didn't, and that was, but that was my first reaction when I heard about this guy. I was like, I like without even watching it or anything. It's like, okay, this is just another person that's like, like trying to act like they're ahead of everybody else and that they're um, able to see things that nobody else is seeing coming. And then a lot of, and I think a lot of people do that just for the sake of attention or whatever, because it does get a lot of attention. Like if you're basically predicting that the greatest technological advancement ever is going to end the human race, like that's going to grab a lot of eyes. Um, right. But yeah, so I, w I would like to go back on it at some point, but I just, I'm, I'm not sure if I find that conversation to be super productive, at least for us. Cause like, you know, we're, um, we're not in the AI research space. We aren't like making advancements to, or like part of that network that's going to hopefully help um, align AI with our goals. Um, so I think it's much, it's much more fun for us to just like focus on, you know, the, the positive outcomes of what AI could, could do for us. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you just want to kind of transition then into uh, Elon Musk. Sure. Yeah. So we got news last week, I think it was, that he or that Twitter had hired this guy named Igor Babushkin. He used to work at um, DeepMind and OpenAI. And I guess he, let me check this Twitter thread real quick. Um, he's going to be the senior director of engineering at Twitter. And I guess his main job is to build the team that's going to build a chat GPT competitor. Um, what did you think about the decision of them doing, or of Elon doing this under Twitter as opposed to like Tesla or even doing it as a completely separate company? Um, it's, it's interesting. I think it uh, definitely makes sense for Twitter. Um, and when you think of it in the context of him having to turn Twitter around and and it uh, becoming profitable, I, I really like it. It'll be interesting to see what it looks like um, and how they incorporate it into the platform. Yep, I think so too. And I guess it kind of makes sense now that I think about it, that they did it under Twitter because Twitter is like this constantly updating data set of human language, pretty much like tons of mm -hmm. different human interactions happening every single day across the world. And so that's like, that's very valuable. And I know at one point, um, OpenAI had access to all of Twitter's data that they used to train their models. And once Elon had actually acquired Twitter and found out about this, he he cut off that data pipeline. So they no longer have access to, to Twitter's data. Um, yeah. So more drama. In and I, I don't know if there's actually a lot of drama going on between them, but in my eyes, it's, 
I want to know what their relationship is like between Sam. Like Sam and Elon? Yeah. Yeah, I would love to see a discussion between them two just talking about AI strategy in general and how they're kind of attacking the problems and just like the history there of open AI and how they used to be nonprofit. Um, so yeah, I, I would love to see that. But it seems like Elon's goal with this is to build, um, they were calling it, what, based AI or something, basically just like a, 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 a non, not totally non-filtered version of ChatGPT, but an open source version um, that's, got, I guess, supposed to be more aligned with what we want it to do um, compared to what ChatGPT is doing. So yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see these two companies kind of battle it out because there's a lot of history there. And now it seems like Elon's taking this very, like it, it kind of came out of nowhere, to be honest. Yeah. Um, um, I, I mean, I think though, uh, it sets the stage for open AI to have like a proper competitor. Barring what DeepMind produces. Um, yeah, it seems like this might be the first one to kind of push open AI and just hold them to accountable though, whatever the standard is. So no, I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. I think the more players in the space, the better. And I mean, obviously Elon being one of the richest people on the planet, he can make sure that this is very well funded to actually produce something that's, you know, a decent competitor to, to open AI. Um, mm -hmm. and Elon's been in the AI space for a while, like with, um, Tesla attracts some of like the largest or some of the most talented AI people in the space. So, I mean, I kind of initially thought that he would have done it under Tesla because like they already have massive AI teams there. Um, but I'm assuming that there's probably going to be some sort of synergy with Tesla, Tesla's AI team and Twitter because he already kind of does that with like tes Tesla engineers and SpaceX engineers, for example. Cool. Yeah, I was going to say I, I assume there'd be some resource sharing going on yeah, yeah. so kind of bringing in our next topic but so i saw chat gpt 4 which is going to be released next week um it's supposedly going to be multimodal um meaning there's going to be video incorporated and maybe a couple other features but mm -hmm. if that's where this is all going that makes the future of twitter really interesting I, I can't, um, um, I don't know what that's going to look like, but, um, I don't know. It seems cool that that's a possibility. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm, I'm not it the, the source that it came from, like, I guess it was Microsoft Germany or something. They were doing some sort of presentation and like, just kind of mentioned in passing that the GPT-4 is supposed to be released next week. So I don't think it was like an official announcement by any means. Um, so I'm curious to see if we actually are going to see it next week or maybe there'll be more details that come out next week. I don't know. But regardless, it's very exciting because, I mean, just like the the leap from GPT-3 to like chat GPT, for example, which is like GPT-3.5, um, that leap alone was pretty substantial. And from a lot of the uh, the rumors that have been circulating, the amount of data that's supposedly being used for um, uh, GPT-4 
is like a thousand times bigger than GPT-3. So that's a little, it's very exciting, but also a little, I guess, intimidating to think about. Like, I don't know, every step change that we make with this and we just feed it more data and make it more and more advanced, it's it's kind of scary to see what comes out of the other side of that, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And especially if it's going to be multimodal in the sense that it can also interpret uh, videos, images, um, like that, we're just kind of like the exponential rate of improvement is that like going up pretty fast here. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that he didn't think chat GPT had the potential to become dangerous and destroyed. He didn't think it would be the, the model that ends up destroying the world. Um, but it it seems to me, based off our prior conversations, that it does have the ability to kind of it, it has the potential to become like some sort of sentient being just from the fact that we don't super know how it works. And um, I mean, the whole Microsoft thing that we talked about last week was weird. And now that we're incorporating these other um, these other factors in like video and whatever it, it does seem to me like there is potential for chat gpt4 and whatnot to get out of hand um i don't know do you have any thoughts about that yeah i think the point he was making was kind of like if you just take what chat gpt does now at its base level it's just like kind of predicting the next word um or the next or the most probable next word um and that functionality alone would not be enough to produce anything that would be dangerous to humanity. Um, I think, which I, I think I definitely agree with and where I also agree with him is he was basically saying where it gets uh, dangerous is the point where you have a model that is not just predicting its next word. It's actually capable of reflecting on itself and what it knows because if it can do that, then it, the same way that we have concepts that we know we may not understand very well, we can then go and teach ourselves about those concepts. So if you kind of apply that to what, to um, GPT-4, when whenever it gets to this point where if you ask it something or any any user online asks it something and it may not have that context, but if it's capable of searching the internet and finding it itself and teaching it itself and then reflecting on its learnings, that just like compounds over time. And when you have a hundred million users that are all doing that at the same time, or excuse me, at the same time, um, then it's just like rapidly, rapidly compounding its knowledge, finding new things. And that's where it starts to get a bit scary, I think. Um, and also like chat GPT or just all the GPT access in general is like closed, I guess, in the sense that um, it it's not like, it can't just like write its own code, like code itself um, a new ability to do something else or anything like that. So like it's very hard coded in the sense that what it's programmed to do is the only things that it can do. Um, but at the point that you give it access to the internet, give it the ability to reflect on what it knows and what it can do, then that's when I think 
you could have scenarios where it writes its own program to make bots that can connect them connect themselves to the internet and go do whatever they've been programmed to do um which is another one of the things that um Eliezer mentioned was there's like there's no way for us to have any sort of clue on what AI's goals might be. Um, like there's, which I think I agree with, like that makes sense in my, in my head. Like there's no way that we could possibly know what its goals are and what it wants to do. And so in that sense, there's no way to really like prevent anything um, that it could be doing. I mean, does that make sense to you? Yeah. I'm just trying to think if it, would be anything other than i guess it wouldn't be like reproduction but it would be like the furthering of its existence wouldn't that have to be its goal i mean it met the goal of everything that exists um or at least one of them yeah yeah so i guess maybe he's come up with scenarios outside of that that i haven't thought of and i mean if so that That'd be interesting to hear what those are. Um, but if that's, if that is the goal, yeah, I, I think as long as that is one of the goals, I almost find that hopeful because that's negotiable. I mean, we can work with that, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I would, I would imagine that given that it's technology that we've created, we'd want to have as, as much control over it as we can and in a lot of instances that means giving it or like us having the ability to turn it off when we need to and Mm -hmm. i would imagine if ai's if this is all theoretical obviously but like if one of ai's goals is to replicate itself as much as it can to prevent you know being turned off then that's already something that humans and ai would be very misaligned on um but again that's a bit more of the the doom speak yeah. here um yeah interesting um but going back to to gpt4 i think another thing that's um going to be a lot or that um, i'm looking forward to and i think a lot of other people are as well like gpt3 right now has context limits meaning like there's only so much data that it can ingest at one time so if you were to if you want to summarize um, a web page, for example, it can do that up to a certain number of words or characters or whatever. Um, and so with these larger and more upgraded models, that context window um, is going to increase more and more. So eventually it could get to the point where you could copy and paste an entire book into it and tell it, tell it and say, like, summarize this whole book in five sentences and it can instantly like read through the entire thing and like understand all the the main points of it um so i think that's super exciting especially for business applications that are doing like really complex things that would require you to to feed it a lot of data um so i am uh, that the main things are one last point that the main things that like i'm most excited to see are just like the context window like how how much um, like what's the the maximum token limit basically for prompts and then also the cost um, those are I think the the two like oh and the performance obviously but um, I'm mostly excited to see those two things yeah um, just real quick I I was 
uh, skating or, or looking around LinkedIn this morning and saw a job uh, application for um, like summarizing books or creating study guides or something for students. And I was just like, have you not heard? Uh, where have you been right. the last couple of months? Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how long that uh, that application stays up for. But That's do funny. you want to talk you know about... some kid's going to take that job and just use chat GPT to, to do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So do you want to talk about, you mentioned uh, the cost of chat GPT four. do you kind of want to talk about what they just did? Um, mm-hmm. cool. So, yeah. Um, so, so open AI has several different APIs that businesses can access and an, an API is basically just, um, a way for software to like interact with open AI's models, basically, um, a very simplistic way of doing it. So for example, companies can use OpenAI's APIs to integrate uh, GPT into whatever kind of workflows that they'd want to integrate it in. Um, and there's costs associated with doing that. Um, and they're based on tokens, which you can basically just kind of count. For simplicity's sake, tokens are basically kind of like words um, or like sections of words. So um, the latest model that was available for businesses to use was GPT-3. And that was like two cents per a thousand tokens. So the tokens are calculated based on like the prompt size. So if you type in, summarize this paragraph and paste in a paragraph, then it calculates how much that costs. Um, and so the, the most available model or the latest available model was GPT-3. And then we got access to or like the public got access to chat GPT, which was a different model, much more advanced, um, which we saw, you know, just from interacting with chat GPT, how much more advanced it really was, but this wasn't available to businesses yet. Um, but as of like last week, now that model is available for businesses to use. And they actually dropped the cost of the model by 90% from the previous model. So the previous model was two cents per thousand tokens. This is two tenths of a cent per a thousand tokens. Um, and it's like extremely better. Um, so there's a, there's like, this is like massive news for anyone that is utilizing, uh, GPT for any kind of business use case, because not only are your AI applications now going to be way more effective, but overnight your AI costs dropped by 90%. So this is like a massive leap forward. And I think like the biggest takeaway for me from this was, um, I think and it's not clear to me whether they made just like crazy um, advancements on their back end that allowed them to offer these prices. I mean, I'm sure they made a lot of advance advancements, but I'm not sure if they're actually able to to make money on that because it really is like dirt cheap um, to operate. I think their strategy might be operate these models at um, a loss basically and just put, because they have now basically unlimited money for the most part. I mean, not actually, but like tens of billions of dollars now that they have access to through Microsoft. Um, 
So their strategy now could just be, let's drop our prices by 90%, make it to where no other AI company can even come close to competing with us because they have the best models already. And now they have the best pricing that's like 90% plus cheaper than everywhere else. And I think this might be like a, a pretty big strategic leap for them as far as like, we're just going to take over the market and make it to where nobody can uh, compete with us. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, um, I mean, as a business strategy, I, I mean, you got to respect it. Um, but if that is what they're doing, then, you know, that kind of brings up some questions in my mind about, about Sam's Sam Alvin's decision you're making. I mean, you know, you're, you're heading off into this AI space and so far he seems to be very cautious and, um, and all that, but to be squeezing out competition and, um, at a time like this, business wise, great. Uh, in terms of getting some sort of healthy AI environment, maybe not so great. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I agree. Cause that there's really from like a business operator standpoint, there's now no reason for you to really use any of the other models out there, unless you have like a very, a very niche use case that some other model just performs better than uh, the chat GPT model or any of their other models. Um, but the majority of businesses, there's really no other reason for you to use any of the competitors. And so you're going to see the companies that aren't using OpenAI's models currently, they're going to most likely migrate now. Cause like, why wouldn't you, it's like a substantial cost improvement. Um, and I do think there's, it just seems like OpenAI is very quickly gaining a lot of power, um, as far as like capital, as far as market share, direction of AI improvement going forward. Um, and this all kind of happened within the past three to six months. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it, yeah. Is that like, does that, does that scare you at all? Not at the moment, just because based off of what I have seen from Sam, uh, on Twitter and stuff, I, I'm a big fan. I, I think he does yeah. uh, the best intentions. Um, but you know, ask me again in six months, maybe. Um, I, I I'm definitely now very stoked though that Elon's kind of getting on the scene and with the uh, with his own thing. So, so yeah, that'll be good. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I think <clears throat> the most exciting part about it for me is that. They're like, they are kind of sticking true to their original mission in some ways, as far as like democratizing access to AI as best as they can, because they really had no reason to drop their prices by 90% for like their updated model. Um, the chat GPT model was significantly better than just standard GPT 3.0 or GPT 3. Um, they could have charged more for that. They could have just charge the same and like customers would have happily paid that, but instead they, they chose to drop the price by 90%. Um, which I, so I think that's amazing. Like that makes it way more accessible for 
companies and startups to build AI applications. Yeah, that's true. And that's something that, uh, yeah, I wasn't, uh, didn't really thought about that. That's, uh, um, that's cool. Yeah, it's so weird, the juxtaposition between you have kind of this rise of like certainly one, but maybe two or three big uh, AI companies um, that are maybe going to take control of that market. But then by that happening, you now have this kind of like reset of all the markets and all the other markets, um, you know, because with the technology that comes with AI, like you said, startups can now compete with with larger operations. So, yeah, it's I guess it's like everything else. Mm-hmm. A little bit of good, a little bit of bad. Potential bad, no yeah. bad as of yet, but. Right. Yeah, I think it's, and over the next few years, I think it'll be a very healthy thing, especially just for like the markets in general. Um, just kind of the way capitalism works, like over time, the less effective companies um, get overtaken by more effective companies. And so this just kind of, I think, accelerates that um, just because it, like you said, it now gives small companies the ability to be like significantly more uh, productive um, by utilizing AI for whatever their applications might be, um, which in turn will help them like innovate much faster and build more useful applications for for consumers, um, not only quicker, but also way cheaper as well. Um, so we're, we're going to see a lot of like these, I guess, legacy companies that are going to be overtaken, which I think is a great thing. Like, um, mm-hmm. for consumers, like that just means things are going to get cheaper. They're going to be more useful. Um, and so I think it's really cool to see open AI kind of heavily pushing the envelope right now. Um, they really are just like, I, I didn't expect this chat GPT API to come out like early this year. I thought it would be like way later this year at best. And then they just kind of put it out there and then they're like, oh, and by the way, it's 90% cheaper. Um, so yeah, I'm a big fan of what the way Sam Altman's handling everything right now. And I think, um, and now we have GPT four to look forward to as well. So hopefully we see that like next week. Um, Cause I would love to get to use that and see just what all it's capable of doing. And, um, yeah, it's really exciting times to, that we're in right now for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Um, so we got that. Was there, um, is there anything else you wanted to hit on? Um, I don't think. So, um, I guess before we like start to wrap things up, we can maybe just do a shorter episode today. One tweet that I sent you, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, so a, uh, a research team at Osaka basically was able to, what they did was they took like, they showed people images, um, and then while they were showing them these images and told them to think about these images, they did like MRI scans of their brain and then trained a neural net on these MRI scans to where it can, I guess, interpret um, the wavelengths or whatever you get from an MRI scan. I don't really know. 
but it was basically able, they would say like, this person was looking at this image, this was their MRI scan. And then they did that for a bunch of different images, a bunch of different people, and then fed that into a neural net or an AI application um, and trained it on that data. And then what they did afterwards, after they trained that model was they would show it a different image that the AI was not aware of um, and just record their MRI scan of their brain. And then it would have the AI recreate that image of what they thought it was based on the MRI scan. And it was able to do this accurately. So basically to summarize all of that, it was able to read someone's mind, essentially. Um, which I think is, is a little creepy, but it's also just like fascinating at the same time. Yeah. No, that's, that's pretty much magic. Um, it's also just interesting because I guess to me, it's like, just shows that there's so many things that AI is going to be able to do that I can't even conceptualize now. Um, so kind of going back to Eliezer's uh, thing with you, you're not going to be able to predict predict its next move. I, I definitely think he's right with that. Um, um, I mean, that's, yeah, like you said, it's a little creepy, but it's pretty cool. And I mean, that kind of excites me to see what else, uh, what the heck next is or what, what's going to come next. Yeah. Um, it kind of reminds me of um, Ex Machina when she, like, the, or the, the robot was, like, trained on um, human emotion and, like, uh, facial features and, like, body language um, and could basically determine whether or not someone was lying just by the way that their face looked or the way their body language was acting it kind of it kind of reminds me of that um so i think like it just yeah like you said applications like that it's not even something that we would really even think of but these things are just kind of popping up like every week at this point um mm -hmm. so yeah the the rate of um the rate of all these new kind of applications dropping is just insane. I feel like it's every week some something new. I mean, I can't I can't keep up with it to be honest. Uh, right half the time I just rely on you sending me stuff uh, to get yeah. the latest updates. But but yeah. So yeah, I think that about wraps it up for this week. Um, hopefully next week we can. Hopefully GBD four would be out by next week or at least we have some sort of further information on that because i think that'll kind of be our next big topic to to go over and talk about the implications of but um for now i think that about wraps it up unless you've got anything else no no just wait on some announcements from twitter and, and say them and take it from there all right cool um thanks everybody for watching and we'll we'll see you in the next one